And what we want to do here this evening is look at what God says about what we should be doing with our money, specifically on the topic of giving. So I um, have an introduction here, and then we'll get to our, I guess, our, our four points. Some of us here might be old enough to remember a band by the name of Van Halen, or maybe the, the name of that band rings a bell. They maybe had hair like mine. <laughs> yeah, so you, you guys know, huh? They had a very interesting clause in their performance contract. Article 120, 126 stipulated that a bowl of M&Ms be provided backstage, but with every single brown M&M removed. What do they have against the brown M&Ms? If the band arrived and found any brown M&Ms, they were free to cancel the contract and still receive full payment. So what was the thing with the brown M&Ms, you ask? It came down to a safety thing. Van Halen was the first band to take these large productions into smaller, third-level, tertiary markets, as they refer to them as. They'd pull up with nine 18-wheeler trucks full of gear, where the standard was three of these trucks, maximum. Mistakes were common and potentially life-threatening, especially if the stage couldn't support all the weight of everyone that's there, all the equipment. So they had to make sure that the promoter read the contract, hence Article 126, to quote their lead singer, David Lee Roth, and I think they had a couple lead singers. Um, when I would walk backstage, if I saw a brown M&M in that bowl, well, line check the entire production, guaranteed you'd run into a problem. So that was the reason for putting that quirky little line in the contract. It seems silly at first, but a small detail like that could be hugely important. Let's put this in a more biblical framework. Those who are faithful with little will be faithful... Wait, sorry. Those who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. Luke 16.10. And that brings us to our topic this evening, giving. How can we be good stewards with the little or much that we've received? To answer that, we're going to speak to the, to the why the what, the where, and the how of Christian giving. The basics of information gathering, the five W's and an H. I think most of us have, have heard of that before. We're actually going to be looking at the four W's, no, I'm sorry, the three W's, <laughs> three W's and an H. So the why, the what, the where, and the how of Christian giving. So let's get started. So why should Christians give? First and foremost, we give because giving shows how great God is. Oh, you know what? I for, just like last time, I forgot to do this, and let me, let me do it uh, right now. If we could have volunteers read verses as we progress through our study here. I have 18 verses so who's willing? And if you're raising your hand, I'm going to ask that you read maybe three or four verses, just the, because of the number of individuals that are here tonight. 
Okay, Chris, I'm going to have you uh, do Hebrews 11.26, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Which, uh, Hebrews and Yes, both of those. Actually, I'm going to give you another one, too. So Hebrews 11.26, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And Malachi 3, 8 to 10. Sorry, do you need to write those down? You can memorizing them? Yeah. You're, you're a good, uh, I'm good. good waiter or server. Um, since you're so good at balancing those plates, put this one on your head. 2 Corinthians 9, 12. 9, 12? Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Ruby, you had your hand up. Um, Luke 6, 38. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 7. Ephesians 1, 3. And 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Who else had their hand up? Jennifer. Romans 12, 1. First Corinthians sixteen two. Matthew seventeen twenty five to twenty six. Bethany. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Second Corinthians eight two to five. Second Timothy two, three to four. And Second Corinthians nine, six. Who else? John E. First Timothy five eight. Galatians six ten. And then, Francis, I'll have you read 1 Corinthians 16.2. Okay, I think that was it. Thank you, guys. Okay, Brother Chris. Hebrews 11.26. Uh-huh. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasure than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. Thank you. So when Moses gave up the treasures that the world offered, he was proclaiming that Christ was worth much more. Just like the man who gave everything that he had to obtain the pearl of great price, Matthew thirteen forty six. It's simple logic. Give up what is valuable to receive what is even more valuable. Giving for the sake of Christ shows how worthy and how great our God is. Another reason why we give is because God generously gives to us. Giving is the right response to what God has given to us in the gospel. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, through he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. 
We've been given great wealth in Christ, the kingdom of heaven. We give because it acknowledges the spiritual abundance we've been given through the gospel, and this brings glory to God. So we give because God is worthy and he's been more than generous to us through Christ. And we should also give, if you're following along in your notes, that we should also give because giving uh, promotes godliness. And let's look at a few of these motivations you see listed there. First, giving helps us to keep our priorities straight. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God gives everyone a finite amount of money. Some we need to live on. Some we should probably use to save or pay down debt to be, res- to be responsible with what he's given us. But we need to give away the rest. All of it. Because what remains, what we hoard as the Bible calls it, is a spiritual acid. It will eat away at our commitment to Christ. It means we're trying to put our trust in God and something else, which is actually impossible. As Matthew 6, 24 says, we cannot serve both God and and money. And a second way, I thought these were listed, but they're not. A second way giving promotes godliness is that it helps us to recognize and acknowledge God's ownership of all that we have. That's why God goes so far in Malachi uh, chapter 3 verses 8 to 10 to accuse those Israelites who had not given as he had commanded them of robbing God. Yes. Says, will a man rob God Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenants, of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Thank you. All we have is God's. It's the topic of our discussion a couple weeks ago. Not just the portion that we set aside to give to the church or some other organization we'd be donating or giving our money. He owns all of it. A third way that giving promotes godliness is that it helps encourage others to give thanks and praise to God. That's how Paul follows his plea for gifts to the poor Judean Christians in 2 Corinthians 9.12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And so encouraging... Yes. Um, it helps encourage others to give praise and thanks to God. And so giving encourages praise to God by those who receive that particular gift. A fourth way giving promotes godliness is that it helps to bring about blessing. Helps to bring about blessing. 
If we give, we'll be blessed. Now, this is often a misunderstood biblical principle, but before we get into the bad teaching, let's first understand what God is saying in His Word. God's promise of blessing is a real reason for why we should give. In Luke 6:38, Jesus says, "Give and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you." In some cases, this blessing is Obvious. I've heard of a number of stories of individuals that have given money to someone, and that money has it's been like a boomerang. It's come back, almost the exact dollar amount. In other cases, God's provisions are perhaps a little bit less obvious. As I'm reading through this, I'm thinking of times in which God has blessed us, even just more recently. And I'm thinking of our clothes dryer. I know it sounds silly, but it's over 20 years old, and we've never had a problem with it. I drive around a car that was from 1999, so it's almost 20 years old. And God has provided this vehicle to keep on going and going. And even in the last six months, maybe six to 12 months, I've had very little problems with it. It's been a while since we've had a major problem with it. So that'd be something for you to consider. How has God blessed you? In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So we give because there is a reward for those who do this. This is a godly motivation for us. And sticking our noses up to God, refusing God's reward, is definitely not something honorable. Rather, it defames God and His delight in showing mercy. As strange as it may sound, giving in order to be blessed is definitely a good and godly thing. Unfortunately, though, some so-called Christian teachers get this wrong and skew what God has promised. Even some honest evangelicals are guilty of this. They say that God's blessing for giving must include material prosperity Today, now. So T.D. Jakes tells us that if we plant a miracle faith seed by writing him a check, God will heal our marriages or our bank accounts. Or a more faithful but still mistaking teacher might tell you that the reason that you're not able to get out of debt is because you're not giving faithfully to your local church. Those that teach like this incorrectly define the blessings of happiness and success by the world's standards instead of God's standards. But material wealth is not a trustworthy measure of our holiness. Now, in the Old Testament, God did tie material blessing to obedience because God's people were defined 
as a physical nation on a physical land that produced a physical, material blessing. But the Old Testament blessings were always pointing to something much bigger, greater, and more lasting. So on this side of Christ, God's people make up the church who have no country of their own outside of heaven. Scripture, therefore, speaks to rewards by emphasizing eternal, spiritual blessings rather than present material ones. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So if, if you're reading that, it doesn't mean that God's not going to bless us with physical um, physical things or to meet our, our physical needs or bless us materially. 419, Philippians 4.19 shows us that God will indeed do this well, to include our physical needs. For us, trust and obedience to God doesn't entitle us to worldly riches and comfort. As we read through the New Testament, God calls his people to suffering in this life. But the suffering, for Christ's sake, will be for our blessing and for rich reward in heaven. But what is clear is that if we give, we will indeed be blessed. And that blessing is a godly motivation for giving. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, 9-7? Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. When PJ announces the offering, just about every time he talks about being a cheerful giver and how God loves... Um, that as, a, as, a, as our response. Because that giver is broadcasting the fact that the gift that they receive, or the, I'm sorry, the blessing they receive is worth more than the gift. If I don't have love, I gain nothing. Even if I give all I possess to the poor, 1 Corinthians 13.3. This is because cold-hearted, drudgery giving says nothing about who God is. It merely advertises him as a hard-nosed taskmaster. Motive is everything when it comes to giving. Now, what if you're not feeling all that cheerful as the offering plate is coming down and you think about all the other things you could do with the money that, you, uh, that are going into that offering? But you give it anyway, trusting that God's design and use of that money is going to be better than what you would be doing with it. Have you gained nothing? Of course not. You've acted in faith, and that speaks volumes about the trustworthiness of our God. God does not want regretful givers because their gifts say nothing about his worthiness. But gifts given amidst a battle of temptation, sorry, Gifts given amidst a battle of temptation, those are gifts of faith that are great in God's sight. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So your motives don't have to be perfect in order to give faithfully. We are sinful people after all. But if 
you just don't really want to give. Maybe you feel like you're being forced to give um, out of necessity to give to the church's deficit. Then don't give because God loves a cheerful giver, not one that acts reluctantly or out of, comp- uh, out of compulsion. And the truth is that God doesn't need our money, right? He can definitely fulfill whatever purposes he has without us. But in his kindness, he gives us the opportunity, privilege, and joy to participate in what he's doing. That said, it would be good for you to do some heart work and speak with another church member about your motives of this is you and you're having some, some difficulty with being a cheerful giver and wanting to hold on to um, the money instead of give it. And then when your heart is right, come and give what you've decided in your heart. Okay, questions or comments? So we've answered the why of giving, hopefully, but there's still a big question to answer. What do we give? So first off, as you see there, as you open up your your handouts, if you're following along, we ought to give everything. This shouldn't come as a surprise. As we all know, God owns all that we have, not just our money. So as a result... Our giving encompasses a lot more as well. For example, Paul writes in Romans 12.1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. In Colossians 4, he says, make the most of every opportunity. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And as you see there, the the quote on your handouts, money is just one piece of a large puzzle for how we can use every gift, every opportunity, every relationship, every dollar to proclaim the glory of God with every minute he gives on this earth. Sometimes we think that God's goal for our money is that we live on his little of it as possible so that we can give as much as we can as possible to our local church. And on one hand, that would honor God. But on the other hand, it may be taking too narrow a view of how to honor God with your money. Did you think that did you ever think that maybe God has a bigger purpose or a different purpose? Or maybe even a better one of how to Use that money to enable you to honor God in perhaps other areas of your life? Remember, you'll be asked to give an account for all of your life, not just your money. For example, what would you tell a husband that felt that it was ungodly for his wife wanting to eat out for dinner every week? After all, they could stay home and eat for a fraction of the cost. 
And then they could give the rest of that money that they didn't spend on eating out, they give that away to perhaps a, a better purpose. Would you encourage the husband in this? Probably not, if you want their, their marriage to work. <laughs> perhaps God might be more pleased if the husband used his money to build into his relationship with his wife or have her build relationships with other ladies, believers, non-believers, or just bless her by giving her an opportunity to not be there in the kitchen, give her a break from all that work. Jesus certainly didn't commend the Pharisees in Mark 7 for giving a gift devoted to God at the neglect of caring for their parents. Your job as a Christian is to assess every opportunity you have in life, many of which can benefit from your money and spend every bit of you for God's glory. So, what should we give? Everything. Our entire lives are to be spent for God's glory. With that in place, let's look at this from a different angle, a more specific question. How much money should we give to the church? Let's start by looking at Old Testament giving. The Old Testament concept of the tithe served like an income tax in Israel's economic law. What does the word tithe mean? You guys know what tithe, the word tithe means? I think a lot of times we use it as, as a synonym for forgiving or offering. Tithe means a tenth. And this tenth was to be holy or set apart to the Lord in the Old Testament. And there were three different tithes collected in Israel. First, Leviticus 27.30 to 33 tells us that a tithe of all the produce and flocks was to be set aside for the Lord. This tithe was given to the Levites, enabling them to serve in the tabernacle full-time since they didn't receive an inheritance of the land. They, in turn, were to tithe to support the priests. Second, in Deuteronomy, we see that a tenth of of one's produce and flocks was to be eaten at the central sanctuary. Interesting, God was commanding his people to throw a big party for him once a year in his honor. Remember, part of bringing God glory is enjoying gifts, his gifts in ways that honor him. God is not a cruel miser, but he loves to bless his people. Finally, we see that every third year a tithe was to go into a local storehouse to support, um, to, 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 to feed the poor Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows. In addition to these three tithes, there's more. Israel had the temple tax, voluntary offerings, gleaning of the fields that was, that was to be left for the poor, and additional taxes levied during the monarchy. So the Old Testament system of giving was much more complex and hardly representative of the simple idea of just the tithe, or 10%. Technically, it came up to around 23%. That said, if you are new to giving and looking for a good starting point, 10% may be um, useful. 
What do you think the average giving of American Christians is? Monies that are given to support uh, their churches, missionaries, um, the needy. How many of you, show of hands, think that it's at least 10%? For all churches? Yeah, for, for, for American Christians. Okay, what about between 5% and 10%? Oh, you, okay. 5 to 10%? Less than 5%? According to Relevant Magazine, Christians are giving a whopping 2.5%. A quarter of a tithe. So to continue giving us some perspective on this, during the Great Depression, the worst economic downturn in the history of the industrialized world Christians gave at a 3.3% rate. More than we who continue to live in this long-lived era of prosperity. Randy Alcorn says, Tithing shouldn't be seen as the finish line of giving. In fact, look at it as the starting block. But apparently, a lot of Christians need help getting started. As nearly half of church members... Those who claim to have bought in at a, at a deep level to the ministry of church give a goose egg, nothing, zero. Nearly half of church members give nothing. Not the best reflection of a good and generous God. So that was Old Testament, and let's transition and look at what the New Testament says about giving. And it's interesting that nowhere in the New Testament will you see anything about a tithe or 10%. Instead, we see in 1 Corinthians 16.2, a simple admonition to keep in giving with our income. Jennifer? This is um, Matthew 17, or did you want me to read the... Oh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Sorry, I have it. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. Thank you. So what's happened to the 10%? Well, the tithe, just like animal sacrifices... The schedule of festivals and priestly offices were all parts of God of parts of God's regulations in the Old Testament to show in the Old Testament of how I'm sorry of how his people were to worship him. And once Jesus comes along, he announces in the Sermon on the Mount that he fulfills the entire Old Testament. All of the worship ordinances in the Old Testament were pointing to him as the author of Hebrews shows. Once Jesus comes along, these things are no longer needed because one greater than the temple is here. Matthew 12, 6. This is why Jesus declares the temple tax inapplicable to his followers in Matthew 17, 25 to 26. Yes, he said, when he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. 
What do you think, Simon? From who, whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from their strangers? From strangers, he said. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him. Jesus was the Son of God, and we are his adopted children by his grace. Therefore, we're no longer under the Old Testament Israel's legal, economic, or social laws, but are subject to the kingdom of heaven under the law of Christ. So, to summarize all of this, are someone in sin, if they don't give 10% of their income to the church, not necessarily. Notice I didn't say no. Because, in addition to the give and keeping with your income that we just saw in 1 Corinthians 16.2, there are two other themes that we see in Scripture. Let's go over those. So the first theme that, we, that should guide our giving is of sacrificial giving. And all throughout the New Testament... We're taught that following Jesus will involve denying ourselves, self-denial. Jesus actually makes this non-negotiable for being a Christian. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And on at least two occasions, we see sacrifice applied specifically to the giving of financial resources. Once, when the poor widow gave everything that she had, that one, that every, she gave everything that she had to live on. And once, when the dirt poor Macedonians gave beyond their ability in 2 Corinthians 8, 2-5, when they heard of needy people in Jerusalem. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. We can take away from this is that we should all be serving Jesus to the point where we're making sacrifices. And one way some of us will be called to sacrifice is the giving of our money to the point where it hurts. But in doing this, there are two errors that we should avoid. The first error is the one that says if your, bu- if your budget isn't painfully tight, you're not giving enough away. And that's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily a sin to accumulate wealth, but we should live a life that's painfully tight in giving ourselves away. Offering our body, our bodies as living sacrifices, as it says in Romans 12.1. That said, each of us is in a different situation. Some of us, the real sacrifice might be with our budget. For others, maybe time others, relationships. So we ought to be giving in all of these things. Not being selfish with our lives. So where it hurts is going to vary from person to person. But where exactly it hurts, as I said, will vary. 
but it, it also comes with a balm of joy as we have the privilege to willingly sacrifice for our Savior and King. And the second error, uh, second error is one that says that comfort and Christianity can coexist. They can go hand in hand. And we need to be constantly reminded that we, as Christians, are in a war. As Paul writes to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. So as we see, we're, we're called to sacrifice. And that means to follow a crucif- that we're following a crucified Lord. And let our comfort be in Christ. The second theme that should guide our giving is a theme we see painted all across the pages of the New Testament. Generosity or generous giving, as you see there on the right-hand side, as you open up your, with your handout opened up. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. And this is a, a farming truism. The more seeds you plant, the more you're going to get in return. If you plant just a little bit, you're just going to get a, a little harvest. Like the faithful stewards we learned about last time, God likes for us to take risks and bet fully on Him by sowing or giving generously. Again, our generosity showcases how much we've received from above. And so this liberality should mark every Christian. We should give generously to support our local church, to support missionaries, help our neighbors in need, love our families, encourage our brothers and sisters. The list goes on and on. So in review, how much should we give? Everything. Both what we give and what we keep back are ultimately God's. So, what was the answer when it came to how much money we should give the church? Quite possibly more than you do today. But certainly enough so that you can honestly say before God that the money you're holding on or back to, back to spend somewhere else, brings them equal or greater glory than if you were to um, give it away. You'll see the following quote on the right page um, of your handout there. Give so that the money you're spending on your own needs brings God equal or greater glory than it would if you were to give it away. And that should be the gold standard for each of us. And for most of us, that'll be considerably more than 10%. And here's what John Piper has to say. On this topic. So the point is not that we are governed by percentages. They are not mandated. Rather, we should be governed by lavish, sacrificial generosity that overflows freely and joyfully. So I have often said to my people, this, this congregation over the years, that a middle class American who is only tithing 10% is probably robbing God. 
In other words, we have become so accustomed to our Western prosperity and its ways of life that we think 5 or 10% is something generous. It was convicting to me when I thought, I thought I was doing okay. <laughs> Evidently not. So if you're not giving 10%, consider how you can give sacrificially to a goal of 10%. Consider how you can make that happen. For those that are tithing and giving at the 10% rate, consider how you could stretch your generosity and actually increase your sacrificial giving. God's money manager doesn't ask, how much more can I keep? But rather, how much more can I give? Whenever we start to get comfortable with our level of giving, It's time to ask God if he wants us to raise it again and ask him how to do so. Questions, comments. Um, That's convicting. That's my comment. So I'm certainly wanting to think about, man, that Piper quote, 10%, you're probably robbing God. I like, I'm glad he said probably, first of all, <laughs> but, um, but it's still probably, mm-hmm. <laughs> still probable. And um, I like the question, are you comfortable with your level of giving? So I feel like we, give, we have it set in a system, so we just give and we don't think about it anymore. Yeah. So there's no feel of uncomfortability. Exactly. Anything else? I guess when you're thinking about giving to the church, I guess how do you think about when you're giving to like individual people in the church too? You know, because sometimes you could feel like, oh, well, um, that's 10% or I'm going above 10%. You know, it's just like, is it just the church um, entity or can it be like within the church family that you're giving like certain needs? You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's really a question. Any well, I think, I think it is a question. I think it's a question that a lot of us may ask. I know it's one that, that I've, or I guess we've talked about um, and I don't have an answer for you um, in terms of Specifically, um, you're going to say something? You could always ask your husband. (laughs) We are in the same household. No, um, so I think in our church in particular, especially those of us who've been here all three and a half years, um, the, the budget wasn't really well thought out. So, um, I mean, you want to be careful not to, in one sense, you trust God and you give, but because we're a congregational church, we also vote on the budget, and so we hold our church accountable to it. So, so in that sense, it's good for us in this church, but because of the slow reform in the last three years, I think I've led one, two, three, four budgets now, but the first budget I didn't touch at all. It was just literally whatever they wanted to do, I didn't say anything at all. It was just whatever they did, that's what that first year was. Um, 
That's why we have a lot of designated funds in our church. I, that, that's not ideal. I think it's necessary given where our church is, though it's becoming less and less necessary. I think next year will be our first year um, where we, we got some big things off the budget this year that were really hampering us. And I think from this point forward, it, there's not really anything that really holds us, our church back from doing what we should be doing with the general fund. So in that sense, you want to give to local. So think about our church covenant. In our church covenant, we promise to give to support the ministry of the church. And that's the general fund, generally. And then after that, I would say on top of that, giving to individual needs. But you want to give to the church's mission as a whole, as the congregation has decided upon how we're going to invest this money. So I'd say that, that should be your base or your, your first priority of giving for the, ki- for the kingdom. And we're probably going to get to that with the next point. And then after that, you could go individuals or things. I would almost look at that almost not quite like an outside ministry, like a Nine Marks or like International Mission Board. But, um, but certainly the local church as an institution would be the first priority. Thank you. I know in, it, as, I, as I started off by saying this, is, this whole study has been extremely convicting for me. And I even question my question of asking that question. I'm like, am I nickel and diming God by saying, okay, this is, this is I'm compartmentalizing, okay, this is the 10% that I'm going to be giving to God. And let me um, look at giving this part instead of just saying, you know what? This is, this is all God's. It's not necessarily the 10%, but the Hundred percent. So I guess praying and asking where God would lead you in terms of how to use that money. Okay. Anything else? Thank you, guys. So we've talked about the why of giving, and hopefully there was, and it sounds as though there was conviction as we discussed the what. Of giving. So let's look at the where in regards to where Christians should give. And we're going to lump this into two categories, obligations and opportunities. So the first thing we need to look at in about when deciding where to give our money are those areas where Scripture indeed obligates us to do so. So let's start with our most basic responsibility in 1 Timothy verses 5 or, or I'm sorry 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 Paul says But if anyone does not provide for his own family especially for his own household he has denied faith he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever Okay so providing for our family seems to be like the most basic responsibility. But let's say you've met that most basic obligation, which by God's grace, I believe most, if not all of us, have. So what's next? Give to your local church. As in Galatians 6, 6, Paul writes, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. So this seems to follow the same pattern we saw in the Old Testament of uh, tithing to support the Levites who, who taught God's people. So how much should you give to the church? That's not an answer that I will be able to give you. You'll have to decide on your own. Maybe doing some, some good, 
heart work based on what God's Word says and what we've talked about here this evening. Beyond that, I think it's, it's hard to find any commands of obligation in the Bible. Having said that, we do see opportunities, descriptions of opportunities. So let's take a closer look at this. Paul didn't command the Corinthians to give the poverty-stricken churches in Judea, but he presented it as a compelling opportunity. 2 Corinthians 8.8. Likewise, Galatians 6.10 tells us, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So if you're providing for your family and you're giving a faithful... So let's say you're, you're, you're providing for your family and you're giving a faithful amount to your church, or to our church. And as a result of living within your means, you're able to, to give more. What do you do? You try to figure out the, the best, most strategic way to spend that money so you'll be able to give a good account for it when you stand before Christ. Perhaps you give more money to the church because of the good things that they're doing with it. In fact, I hope as your income grows, you're even able to to give a larger percentage each year. God wants us to not only grow in hope, faith, and love. He wants us to also excel in our giving. He talks about that in, um, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 8-7. Or you might Use that money to invite your neighbors over for a dinner or perhaps host a gathering of non-believers, perhaps neighbors. Or maybe you give to a group like the Voice of the Martyrs or the North, North American Mission Board. You, bless, you can bless others in so many ways, through gifts, through, um, through meals, giving them money, letting them reuse your car. There are lots of opportunities for your money, and your job is to maximize your investment as you, um, as you consider what a good steward of these resources looks like. Okay, and that is all for the where questions or comments. No? Okay, we're in the home stretch. So we've looked at the, at the why when it comes to giving, why we should give, what we should give, and where we should give. So let's close with focusing in on how we should give. And to do this, we're going to primarily look at what Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 16, 2. I think Francis, you said you were going to read this aloud? I know we heard it earlier, but it's, it's, we're going to read it again. On the um, first, oh. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It, it's also there on the back side of your handout. Sorry. Okay. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. Okay. There are five biblical admonitions that we can take from this verse specifically, and then we'll throw in an extra one um, at the end for good measure. 
So how should we give? Giving should be periodic. We should give regularly. Paul says there, in 1 Corinthians 16.2, On the first day of every week when the church gathered. Some of you may be saying, well, well, duh. But there are some Christians who wait until the end of the year. They follow IRS guidelines. <laughs> um, giving should be an act of faith for not only how much we give, but when we give it. Do we give our first fruits up front, or we wait to see whatever might be left over at the end of the year? Giving should also be personal. We're each responsible to give as individuals. Paul says in this verse, each one of you. So just because the church is giving, that doesn't mean, I mean, we're part of the church body, but that doesn't mean that um, you, you are giving. Giving should be planned. We should give some deliberate thought in our offering. Paul says to set aside our money, our money. So when we are budgeting for the month, include this component if it's not something you're already doing. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. This, again, is a decision you should think about and, and pray about, not one to be made spur of the moment on a Sunday morning. Giving should also be progressive. We should give according to our means. Paul says to give in keeping with our income. This doesn't mean that everyone is going to be giving at a, at a set amount, let's say a thousand bucks, nor does it mean that everyone is to give a specific percentage, like 10%, as we've been talking about a lot. Instead, giving progressively means that the more God blesses us, as the more, and the more we're able to see that blessing, because those blessings are there, but it's different to, to be able to recognize those blessings, the more we should be giving and open-handed. So let's say that believer A has an income of 30000 per year, and believer B receives $60,000 per year, and both give 10% of their income. With everything else equal, has believer B given progressively? The answer is no. After giving, believer A has $27,000 left over, Believer B has $54,000 left over, double what the other believer has. Believer B could actually give 20% and still have more to live on than Believer A. Just another way of looking at it. So giving progressively means that the more you have, the more you should give. It's not giving a higher amount, but also a higher percentage as well. So, for example, if, let's say if you were to receive a salary raise, this would enable you to give a larger percentage of your income. Remember, generosity is not marked by how much we give, but rather how much we keep. I'll repeat that. Generosity is not marked by how much we give, but rather how much we keep. 
Giving should also be plentiful. Our giving is to be generous. Paul concludes his instruction in this verse by saying, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Each of us should give what we finally decided in our heart to give as we reflect on all that God has given to us in Christ. In Exodus chapter 35, verse 29, the Israelites got caught, caught up in the thrill of giving as established in their joyful contributions to the rebuilding of the tabernacle. Here we see that Old Testament giving went far beyond the, the normal tithing. So the emphasis isn't on the amount, but rather on the person's heart. It wasn't a tithe, which was obligatory. The money that they give was given freely. Randy Alcorn says, Ironically, Christians who consider tithing the pinnacle or high ground of giving are actually lowering the Old Testament standard, which merely started with the tithe, but did not end there. Should the church, transformed by the redemptive work of Christ, experience such passionate giving less than our Israelite counterparts? Or should we experience it all the more? And finally, giving should be private. Let's not forget Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, 3, and 4. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Public acts of worship, such as taking offering during the service, bring praise to God. But we should not give for the sake of public recognition. We won't receive any reward from God. Questions or comments? Okay, let's conclude. Acts 20, 35 says it is more blessed to give than receive. And these are Jesus' words, and they're true. One of the greatest joys as a Christian is being able to give more. There is tremendous satisfaction that comes from seeing the fruits of our labor labor multiplied many times over in the lives of others. Money is a powerful thing, and when we use it for good, it it can do incredibly great things. And that feels amazing. And I hope that we're all able to participate and excel in the grace of giving. And so having been found faithful with little, God will be pleased to entrust us with more. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be lavish in our generosity and sacrificial in our giving. I pray that we'd act in these ways in response to who you are and what that you have done. May we continue to be generous and wise with whatever amount of money that you, the God of sovereign grace, calls upon us to manage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.